You'll remember Joe Russ. We talked uh, last year after she completed circumnavigating Africa on her motorcycle. She had started on her bicycle and uh, ran into a problem, and it, it turned out to be a motorcycle trip unexpectedly. And you'll have to go back and listen to that episode. Search for Joe Rust on our website. Well, Joe Rust doesn't know the meaning of taking a break. She just keeps going and going. She's now training to be the first female on the South Africa team for the BMW GS Trophy in 2016. And she has plans on running the Dakar Rally. She's also an off-road instructor and has been appointed a BMW ambassador. Oh, did we mention that she also runs the BMW GS Trophy fans page and the BMW GS Girls? They say if you want something done, give it to a busy person. Well, Joe is certainly a busy person and she's getting things done. Find out more about Joe and be inspired by this incredible girl's determination on this episode. We're also going to talk with an expert about spoke versus cast wheels. Now, when we decided to do this tech piece, we did some research, asked around a bit, and the name that kept coming up was Woody from Woody's Wheelworks in Denver, Colorado. They've been around since 1973, and that certainly says something about their expertise and qualification. Woody is known for incredibly strong wheels. He builds for Dakar racers, show cruisers, solar-powered vehicles, and many more. On the show, we talk about the difference between spoke and cast wheels and their applications. We learn how to check the wheels to make sure they're safe and they're operating properly and when they need service. And we also talk about when you might want to use a spoke wheel over a cast wheel. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. This is Nick Sanders. I'm Jason Spafford. And I'm Lisa Morris. My name is Austin Vince. This is Rob B. I'm Rachel. This is Ed March. This is Glenn Hickstead. This is Dr. Gregor W. Fraser. This is Dave Barr. This is Alan Carl. This is Tiffany Coates. Hello, here is Herbert Schwartz. I'm Brett Tax. This is Zoe Cano. This is Nathan Millward. My name is Graham Hoskins. This is Joe Russ. Hi, this is Jeremy Craker. I'm Simon Thomas. And I'm Lisa Thomas. It's Simon Pavey here. Hi, this is Grant Johnson. This is Robert Wicks. This is Elisa Workler. This is Ted Simon. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and can fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and with a five-year warranty. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. I'm Susan Johnson from Horizons Unlimited, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. The Good Adventure Company is a motorcycle outfitter that donates its profits to sustainable charities. They specialize in soft luggage and only sell products they've tested and believe in. And now they're offering guided motorcycle tours. Visit them at www.good-adv.com. That's www.good-adv.com.
I'm speaking with Joe Rust, who we had on our show, as I said in the intro about a year ago, um, talking about her travels around Africa. And today we're talking about everything else that's going on. And Joe started out as a cyclist, uh, became a motorcyclist, and like I mentioned, you're like going to have to go back to that episode and listen to it to uh, fully get that story. And it's a very good story. And we're not going to touch on that today. We're just going to talk about what else is going on. But since then, uh, Joe is just doing everything. She's running in a bunch of different directions and getting a lot done. Joe's from South Africa. She is a certified BMW instructor. She works for Country Tracks uh, in in South Africa. And she's got a bunch of other things going on, which I won't spoil it for you now. Um, Here is Joe Rust. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, it's it's been a lot has happened since the the last time we spoke. Um, Yeah, busy, but loving it at the same time. So you're the type of person that's really going to get the most out of life, I think. You know, you're, you seem to be um, going in a bunch of different directions at once. But the amazing thing is you seem to be getting a lot done. So let's start with the GS Girls. What is that all about? <laughs> so, yeah, the, the GS Girls is a global platform. Um, at the moment, it mainly exists on social media. So we have a page on Facebook and we have a group as well. And it's basically a platform for female riders across the world uh, to share their experiences, thoughts, um, concerns on the page. The group is where people are more interactive. Um, But, I mean, it's grown to a level where I think on the page we have nearly 7,000 members now globally. And we have different administrators in different countries you know, we have um, in the USA, in Europe, in Belgium, Australia, Brazil, France, all over the show. And, um, you know, these girls are facilitating rides, training camps. Um, and it's, it's just amazing to see how it's taken off and just how much interest there is all over the world. Joe, you are a certified off-road trainer. You are a BMW ambassador. How did you become a BMW ambassador? And what is it? (laughs) Well, um, when I finished my trip riding around Africa on my motorcycle, um, you know, I had discussions with BMW. And um, I think they thought that um, they saw an opportunity that they could utilize, I think, you know, the female market. And they wanted to make me a brand ambassador, which basically means I get to ride... Uh, the most awesome bike, which is not a punt. I mean, it is, but I really do love love my bike. Um, but in return, you know, I promote BMW and obviously I'm involved in a lot of BMW events. Um, like you mentioned, I'm now a qualified instructor. So in early this year, I did my international instructors course. And um, I think currently there are only four female instructors, um, BMW certified instructors in the world. Um, So it's myself in South Africa, two female instructors in Europe and one in the USA. Um, So yeah, it basically means I'm very involved with BMW um, and motorcycling as a whole um, in events and doing training and, you know, promoting the brand and, and such. 
BMW obviously saw the opportunity there because you're the type of person who's getting a lot done. And clearly they were right. I mean, you got 7,000 people into the BMW GS Girls. You just started. I, I mean, it, to me, it was just a few months ago, it seems like. And maybe you, you said about a year. But it wasn't that long ago that I saw you put the page up and, and people just flocked to it. It it amazes me. I mean, I didn't in in my wildest dreams. I wouldn't have thought that it would grow, um, you know, this big. But obviously, there is a need for this. You know, there are a lot of women who are now starting to ride their own bikes, um, and you know, they want to share their experiences and they want to be able to ask questions. And um, I think they needed a platform where they felt they could share um, experiences. You know, just amongst women because come on let's face it a lot of times and I see it on training as well you know the female riders feel intimidated by the guys um, not always but you know sometimes they just want a safe environment where they can just share their fears and you know throw around some ideas so it's amazing how it has grown um, and it is literally just over a year now so uh, I mean the sky's the limit well, correct me if I'm wrong, when it comes to training, I think females tend to go for training first, whereas guys tend to go and try and figure it out on their own. And then after they start to get the hang of it, then they go and get a, uh, or take a course or sign up for something where they can learn. And that's probably some of the intimidation factor. I think when you arrive at a, a training camp and the women are there really as beginner riders, and a lot of times the guys have already tried to acquire some skills and are there to try and um, get more skills. Yeah, yeah. What I've um, found, and it's true, I mean, statistically, it's been um, proven that women are far more eager to go for training. And I think a lot of the times women feel that they don't want to keep the guys behind. Um, you know, guys don't have, don't always have that fear factor we have. And I know <laughs> we always have these discussions on the training and jokes around egos, you know, when a bunch of guys start riding together. The egos can, you know, step in there, and you see guys doing some funny things. Um, we all have egos, but I think women just feel like if they go for training in an all-male environment, they feel like they have to try and keep up. And if they're in a group of, uh, you know, a group of ladies, they feel more comfortable because they feel they can relate better. Well, let's talk about the training for a second. I mean, it's easy to say that you're a BMW certified uh, trainer. What does it take to be that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it has taken a lot of training, but lucky for me, I have the best trainers in the world. And um, I mean, the, the riding academy that I work for uh, is called Country Tracks. And these guys, they're the you know, the academy that I had my first training course with, um, and this was only last year, you know, I went all the way around Africa without any training, then got back and figured, okay, now I'll go and learn how to ride a bike. And, um, I mean, these guys have just been amazing, and they have taught me so much. And after my first course, I realized just how much I love it, and just did another course, and another one after that, and another one after that. And it excited me to see how my skills started to grow. And I wanted to get better. And then I realized um, that, you know, I, I think I would like to be able to teach others what I've learned. And that's how I started getting involved with the instructing. Um, uh, also, I'm, I'm the first female instructor for this academy. And we have, I mean, we have 
venues throughout the country. We have about 18, between 18 and 20 instructors now, I think. And to become a BMW certified instructor, it takes um, a week-long course that you have to do, a process that you go through, which um, you know, pretty much consists of, like I said, a whole week of uh, practical training. There's theory. You have to write a test. Um, I mean, there's a lot that you go through, and it's pretty grueling and tough, but it's so worth it. I love it. You rode, as you mentioned, the Africa trip. Well, well, let me back up for those who don't remember. You didn't even have a motorcycle license before you went out and bought a motorcycle, got on it, rode it around Africa. So certainly you became somewhat competent with your motorcycle riding around Africa. So from that trip to now as a trainer, what's the difference? Where have your skills changed? (laughs) Well, yeah, like you said, uh, when I started out, um, you know, when I decided I want to do the trip around Africa on a motorcycle, I had never been on a motorcycle before. So on a scale from 1 to 10, I was on like 0 when I started out, maybe like minus 2, I think. And where I am now, I mean, you never you never stop um, growing and learning. But, I mean, just on that scale, where I am, it's opposite ends, where I was and where I'm now. Um, it's it's amazing, the progress. And if not for the training, I'd, I'd never have been where I am now. The thing, I think the, the difference is, you know, obviously during the trip, I learned how to handle my bike. And it was, you know, heavily loaded at the time. Um, but the thing is, you, you learn bad habits. And it's more difficult to unlearn bad habits than it is to, you know, teach someone, you know, the the right techniques from the get go. You know, for you for the actual riding technique, though, what do you notice? Like, are there places you can go now that you couldn't go before? Um, is it just a confidence level? Is it um, control of the motorcycle? I mean, what what is it? Are, are, can you narrow it down to a few things and say, oh my God, this this thing is incredibly different uh, than I'm doing now compared to what I used to do? It is incredibly different. I mean, I I used to have a huge issue with downhills. Like, that was my, pardon the pun, downfall. <laughs> um, but I always, you know, when, like, some people have a fear for sand when they go off-road. I used to have a fear for downhills. And I remember um, the first time I rode with uh, one of the country tracks instructors, going downhill, I kept putting the bike down and... Um, you know, falling off the bike. And I mean, this was off-road. It was rocky with some steps. Um, And he just, you know, very calmly explained to me how to get down. And it was amazing how just a few words of advice helped me. And that's when I said to myself, I want to go for training. Now, you know, we take, I will go with the guys on, I ride, now I ride a BMW um, R1200GS. And I take that bike to places where people ride trials bikes. And it's amazing how I now have the confidence to handle my bike in a safe manner, safe to myself and to other people and, you know, not to damage the bike. So it's just, um, I think it is a confidence thing. Um, At the same time, it's also obviously technique. And um, we have a saying that goes, uh, you know, repetition is the mother of skill. And that really is just so true because it's just practice over and over and over again. 
But obviously, you need the foundation. You need to know how to do what and when. So that's where training is just so important. I've got to ask you about the R1200GS. So you're riding this R1200GS around. Do you not find it a little unwieldy? I mean, obviously, you have the skills to, to ride this. And I'm, I'm sure with your skill level, you can ride many bikes and do things with them that people wouldn't be otherwise able to do. But do you find the R1200GS, not? don't you find it a little big for doing off-road stuff? <laughs> um, no. And I know everyone's going to say, well, of course she's going to say that. She just told us she's a BMW brand ambassador. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. But, <laughs> but honestly, 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 um, a lot of girls that come for training, you know, because I'm on the 1200, they think, oh, my word, look at her. You know, she's on this big bike and look what she's doing because um, we do really technical riding with the 1200s. And, you know, I will, I will sometimes give them the opportunity to go from whatever bike they might be on, be it a... Uh, 650, uh, you know, up to 800 or whatever, or, you know, KTM or Honda, doesn't matter, and just tell them, just give it a go, just get a feel for the bike. And every single person that's ever been on the bike and got off said to me, it's amazing how light it feels. Um, these bikes are just so amazing. The design of it is just mind-blowing. Um, you know, it's very well-balanced, it doesn't feel as big as it looks. Um, you know, way at the beginning, I also felt intimidated by it until I got on the bike and I started riding it. And it, it really is just mind-blowing what these bikes can do. And it's, I mean, people, or a, a very good showcase of what these bikes can do is the GS Trophy, you know, where they take these 1200s and they do, it's almost like the Olympics of biking. Um, and that's where you, you really get to see just how easy it is to handle these bikes. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the, the GS Trophy because we want to talk about that too. But let, let's talk for a second about Country Tracks, this off-road academy that you work for. You started by taking your course there and then you got hired on. Tell us about that. You know, the first time I got to hear about Country Tracks is when I had to return from my trip from Morocco when I had to come back to sort out visas, I had to get a, a Schengen visa uh, to be able to go to Spain and I could only get that in my country of residence. So I was forced to come back and then I you know, got my visa here and then went for a ride with friends and it was a fairly technical ride and um, I struggled a bit and there was this one guy, um, his name is Stefan, one of our instructors. This was, oh yeah, a downhill again, like I said, I used to struggle with downhills. But it was a very technical downhill with, you know, big rocks. All the guys had to push their bikes down. But this guy came hopping along down this hill, um, making it look like, you know, it was no effort. And I remember looking at him and um, I asked one of the guys, who is that? And they said, oh, yeah, it's one of the country tracks instructors. And I was like, what is country tracks? And that's where I got to learn about this academy. And basically country tracks is the oldest off-road um, training academy in South Africa. And it was started by a man named Yander Toy, um, who is kind of, he's kind of known like um, as the godfather of off-road riding in South Africa. And he started it way back in 2000. So they've been doing training for about 15, 16 years now. Um, and like I said, now they have venues throughout the country um, with 
close to 20 instructors. And when I did my training, um, my first training was with this, this man called Stefan that I saw <laughs> hopping down the hill. Um, and then he said to me, okay, the next step with training is going to Yan. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to do that. And we just, I don't know, we got along from the get go and I learned so much from him and he's been such an amazing mentor. And, um, he asked me whether I would be interested to become an instructor. And I was quite amazed. I mean, I was, um, surprised because this was, before he actually really knew me, but you know, from they it you know there was there's been no looking back. Um, it's they've become my family, and I spend most of my time with with country tracks. I'm also um, pretty much in charge of doing the marketing for the academy, and I do ladies only courses now all over the country, and um, it's something it's I I really love it. It, it is, it's become my passion and, um, you know, I can really see myself doing this pretty much for the rest of my life. I really enjoy it. The, uh, GS girls, uh, BMW, BMW GS girls thing that you have started up is going one step further and entering a team in the BMW GS challenge. What is that all about? Um, well, what happened was, you know, We've been trying to get BMW to, um, you know, promote more female female participation in the GS Trophy. There's never been a female member in any of the teams. Um, there's never been a female marshal in the event. And um, we're lucky enough that this year BMW has said, okay, um, you know, let's let's send an all female team to the next GS Trophy. And we sent out pretty much an invitation globally to all female riders who would like to participate and said to them that they can, you know, try and qualify by sending in a video clip of themselves and they had to fill out an online entry form. And we received, I was, I was saying to them, I would be happy if we get about 50 entries. And we ended up getting 129 entries wow. from all over the world, which was just amazing. And so um, in uh, Germany at the Motorrad Days this year, there's a judging panel of five members, which I am a member of. And um, in Germany, we sat down and narrowed, it, it narrowed the 129 entries down to the top 10. And those top 10 ladies will actually be flying to South Africa next week when we have our local GS Trophy South Africa and um, right after the event, they will have their final final qualifying event at Country Tracks. Um, and there we will choose the final team of three members. And then next year uh, in Thailand with the GS Trophy, I will be accompanying them as the first ever female marshal. So how lucky am I? <laughs> so um, wow. yeah, lots. there's been a lot of hype around this. <laughs> Joe, you're around 30 years old. You've done this amazing trip around Africa that has launched you into a career of being a uh, an off-road trainer for motorcycles, in particular large motorcycles and BMW certified. 
that's that's a lot. You've started this GS Girls thing. You've got them into the GS Challenge. That's There's a lot going on there. Life is busy for you. So what is the next big dream? And I'm reading that off your website as a link. <laughs> the next big dream. Um, before I tell you what it is, I have to just mention that um, I, I know that I decided what the next big dream was going to be way back when I decided I wanted to ride around Africa on a motorcycle. Um, because even then, I was already thinking, okay, when I finished, when I've done this trip around Africa, what am I going to do next? Um, so, I mean, Africa was never even, there was no doubt in my mind that I would actually finish it. And when I thought about, you know, what next, what's bigger than going around Africa, the first thing that popped into my mind was the Dakar Rally. And um, when, when I finished the trip and I said, okay, right, so now I've gone around Africa, now it's time for the Dakar Rally. Well, I've gone through these um, stages where at one point I thought, you know, this is nuts. I mean, the Dakar is not known as the toughest race on earth for nothing. Um, it's, it is really tough. <laughs> And you have to, I mean, you need to do years of preparation and training and racing. Um, so there's been times where I said, okay, no, I'm not going to do it anymore. But, you know, it's amazing how when you know you're supposed to do something, then you'll always keep coming back to it. Uh, I think you're, it's, it's a matter of your heart will always lead you back to it. And so I finally decided, and I've made it public, announced it um, even in Germany, that the next big dream will be to be the first female rider from the African continent to compete in the Dakar Rally in South America. Yeah, I know, it's nuts. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people would say that with a lot of the things you've done in life already, but anyone who knows you at this point is probably going to be a little reserved with calling you crazy at this point. Go, well, I'm just going to hold back and wait for this one because there's a, uh, a very high probability that you're going to find yourself in that race. What are you aiming for? What, what year? Um, well, the the aim is for 2017, so it all depends on, you know, how things progress. Like I said, there's a lot of preparation that needs to be done. There's a lot of training, a lot of racing, um, and a lot of fundraising. So I'm still aiming for 2017. Um, if by next year I see, you know, it's not going to happen, then I'll push it out to 2018. But, you know, whether it be in the next year or two or three, um, it is going to happen. You've um you're doing your your training with uh, country tracks. Um, is there a chance that there's tours down the road? Because on your website it says training and tours. Uh, most definitely, we are looking at starting um, doing some adventure tours in and around South and Southern Africa. So that'll be happening um, in the near future for sure. Um, and I'll obviously once that happens, it'll be announced on social media so people will know about it. I know you've been working on the book for a while. Is that going to be out soon? Um, yes. Um, I'm hoping early next year. So I saw a potential publisher a couple of weeks ago, and we're busy talking about um, you know possible publishing dates. Um, and I think I might actually look at the possibility of linking the uh, publishing of the book with fundraising for the Dakar. So um, you know, it's it's just you know putting it all together. Uh, but yeah, definitely, hopefully 
sometime early next year. And when I say the book, this book is about your trip uh, that we spoke about and when we had you on here originally on the show, about your trip riding around Africa, which is an amazing story. I'm sure the book's going to be great. Can you give us any idea of what the book is like? So uh, the book is, yeah, it's it's going to be a pretty sizable book. <laughs> and it is, you know, yeah, exactly. Like you said, it's all about my trip around Africa. It's a bit of a semi-biography a bit of background, you know, around why I actually started all of this, you know, what led to um, my deciding to ride around Africa. And then um, it'll be uh, the the whole story, of course, but also with a lot of info around, um, you know, helpful tips and hints on border crossings, what to pack, what to expect, what the countries are like, what the roads are like. So for anyone who wants to travel in Africa, it will be um, a good book to have as a guide as well. And how about more adventures like your trip around Africa? Is anything like that on the horizon for you? I mean, other than the Dakar, I should say. (laughs) Yeah, um, I would like to. I mean, I do miss it. I do miss being on the road. Um, I think it is in my blood. And... I, I will have smaller trips in between, like next year. Um, I'm actually looking at uh, doing a trip from Cape Town to Tanzania. I might have to. It's uh, well, it's for another company, so it's a group, um, a group ride, and they want me to lead that. So there will be more organized tours um, in in the next couple of years. But a big, um, a big trip like the Africa trip. Uh, Maybe in the next five years, <laughs> I would like to do something again. So once, let me finish the DACA first, and then we'll talk about the <laughs> next, next big dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably a, a wise course of action. Well, Joe, thank you very much for coming on and, uh, and letting us know what you're doing now and, and what's been happening in your life. I think anyone will want to drop by your website and have a look and, and see all the things that you have going on. And I guess the next time we'll get you on here is um, when you're getting ready for the Dakar. That would be awesome, yeah. I'd love to give you guys an update, um, maybe just before I set off to South America. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, Joe, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you, Jim. Great chatting, as always. I've been speaking with Joe Rust, and you can find out more about Joe and what she is doing by visiting, to begin with, her website, www.joerust.com. After that, I guess you'd look her up on Facebook, probably for a more live feed. And of course, you can always drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and check the show notes for this episode. We'll have some photographs in there and some more information, and that will take you directly over to Joe and, of course, all the people that we have on the show. And now for our tech piece, we're going to talk about the difference between spoke and cast wheels and a bunch of things in between. Uh, You're going to learn a lot on this episode. You can really want to listen to this one, especially if you're into riding an adventure motorcycle, which generally has spoked wheels. So we turn to expert wheel lacer Woody from Woody's Wheelworks in Denver, Colorado. I'm Woody from Woody's Wheelworks, enabling technologies, room, uh, vintage restoration of old outboard motors, and uh, a few other businesses here in Denver, Colorado. USA, in the Rocky Mountains. Woody, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. It's my pleasure. Well, Woody, I, I, I hear a bunch of businesses in there, and of course that explains something I'm going to ask you about next. Um, but what businesses do you have? 
Well, the oldest business is Woody's Wheelworks. I established that back in June of 1973. Uh, you know, when there was a when nobody was out there to build wheels, and I just said, "Well, hey, can't be that hard." And uh, not only was I able to you know fix all the wheels that were laying around town here in Denver, because the the person that used to do the wheels, he uh, he was running from the IRS, from what I heard. Anyway, uh, and while I was doing that, I noticed certain wheels were uh, like really they're breaking and uh, falling apart all the time. And I took a peek at us. Well, of course, I know why they're not falling apart. They're not. Uh, they don't have the right geometry, trigonometry. You know, there's some uh, spoke patterns that are better than others. I just sort of inherently figured that out and then made my corrections. And uh, and actually, the name Superlace didn't actually come from me, but from that fellow that was running from the IRS. He went ahead and took every wheel that he put together for the Harley riders and made everything out of homemade, big, beefy spokes. And, you know, the, the, the lace patterns were, were crazy and, you know, they were like overkill. But the word Superlace uh, sort of hung in there and I, I, I adopted it and perfected it. And so now I can tell you that I, the wheels I built back in 73, I still see them running around and nobody's ever had to tighten the spoke since. So that's, uh, so durability is one of the main things that I was always shooting for, being able to finish the, the race and my, my wheels. I've never had a wheel cause somebody to have a DNF. Uh, they come back from, you know, like the Barstow to Vegas race. Uh, the guy won uh, his his particular class. The rim is absolutely, basically flat straight across, but the spokes are all tight. So, so uh, that is the whole thing. I've never had a a wheel uh, dematerialize on me. Well, Woody, you're well known in the adventure riding community for for lacing wheels. Obviously, what is it that you do that's different about lacing wheels than other people? Yeah, what 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 I bring to the table is the uh, the learnings that I've had over the years of what what works, what doesn't work, what is bling, what is uh, what you know, and what rims you know are durable, you know. And so I basically, when I go out there, you tell me what you want to do. I always ask the rider how hard do you ride, where do you ride, and stuff like this. And then I know what's already stock on the motorcycle. And then I know what I can improve on. You know, some people they just want bling. Other ones they don't care about bling, and they just want to be have the technically most you know solid wheels that you can get. I build wheels for everything from solar race cars to I've got a handful of Bonneville winners. You know, uh, uh, world speed records. I got all kinds of stuff out there. I don't really care what you race. You know, you tell me how how hard you ride and where you're going to ride, and I will put a combination together for you that is optimal for your needs. So, does this include rim hub changes and as well as spoke changes? Yes, of course. And the other thing is, there's many hubs that are notorious for not being strong. There's rims that are that on certain motorcycles right from the factory that within if you take them within one afternoon of taking them out on the trails they come back all tacoed and stuff like that because 
you know, the rim widths in the material that they were made of simply weren't designed for that kind of writing. So I go out there and say, well, come here, Boopy. I'll, uh, you want to do this? Well, I'm going to recommend X, Y, and Z. Okay. If you're going to do that, it's going to be, you know, FQ and whatever. Right. And then, you know, the, in doing that, if, if I can't get somebody else to, you know, to know somebody else that is making it or things like this, well, I have the ability to in-house or with my network of kindred spirits that are committed to the kind of excellence and the standards that I want. Uh, I have a network that we can create things. So if you ever see some of the wheels, I'll say, Here's what they did, here's what the factory did, and here's the wheelwork way of doing it. And I guarantee you, when you look at them, I have a consistent track record, you'll pick what I offer you. Well, for instance, I ride an F800GS. What would you do, what sort of changes yeah. would you make to my front rim, which is already showing a few... Uh... Yeah, so if you have a GS... Right, so if you're, if you, the first thing I'm going to say, where do you ride? How hard do you ride? All right? Are you planning on doing a round-the-world trip? Are you planning on going to other countries and stuff? The first thing on most any of the GS, GSs, you know, you have to remember that, that that motorcycle is what I would call a wannabe Paris-Dakar uh, replica. In other words, you what they're selling you is the illusion of having a bike that can do Paris-Dakar, all right? But in reality, it is a very, very sophisticated road touring machine, all right, where 90% or more of the people, they'll never go off-road, off-road. They may go on fire roads that are smooth. It's all fine for all those things, okay? And I know that there's people that muscle them around in the most obscure places. But I've got an easier solutions for you. First, I would probably go, if you're going to go really off-road, single tracking, if you're going to go around the world, then I just simply tell everybody, put a 21-inch wheel on the front, okay? It will completely transform the handling of your bike. You'll have access to tires all around the world. 19-inch tires aren't very common anywhere else except in, you know, the United States and uh, and Europe. And uh, and so I would say to do this combination. If you go ahead and you're going to compete, like uh, you know the team from uh, Max BMW that had uh, a team of to uh, some 1200 GS, uh, you know, the HP2s. I've uh, built some special wheels for competition. So those rims are, for instance, narrower and built out of even better uh, material and uh, and so withstand the the rigors of, uh, of racing and stuff. There's a Max BMW, by way of example, he's raced on those, the, the two wheels, wheel sets for his one and two bike. They've won every single competition for the last five years and they're still running on the same wheels all right and have never touched any of the spokes okay so that's the kind of uh you know the thing i can offer you you know you want to finish you know i'll give you something that is going to you, you can count on working all right and of course uh the other thing is it's going to work better too that's the important part the handling is quantitatively increased what is superlace? Give us a definition of that. Superlacing is my term, where I just simply took you know that that other fellow's his wacko way of just making many different spoke patterns with big fat spokes. Superlacing for me is the art of taking a basically blueprinting your wheel. So basically, what I'm doing 
is I look at the, the total package. Are the stock pokes, uh, spokes adequate? Is the stock rim adequate? So I pick and choose the components that are going to get the job done, all right, that I can count on that are not going to go make me look stupid, all right? And then what I do is I essentially blueprint the wheel. I go and I put the lace patterns on there that are optimal, in my opinion, for the, the kind of work you do. Uh, then I go out there and I make the spokes. I go out there and have them bent to my specs because all the spokes that, you know, one of my uh, suppliers, Buchanan's in California, they build great spokes. But when they build spoke kits for people, they basically take the OEM spoke and basically replicate it, right? The factory did it this way, so we're going to bend it exactly like the factory. Well, I know what makes the factory put spokes together. You know, they've got very loose throat lengths and stuff like this. I know what makes the wheel go together easy isn't necessarily what's going to make it stay together long. If it goes together really easy, it's going to come apart real easy is what I've learned. So I custom, all the wheel sets are, have got custom lengths and custom throat lengths and angles and stuff. And so, so that's stuff like this. I go out there and I take the bearings. If you're going to go, all the people that do adventure riding, I take all the bearings and I... I uh, basically repack them with high-speed waterproof wheel bearing grease, knowing you're going to do water crossings. So, I, you know, I prepare the wheel as if you're going to go race, you know, the Paris Dakar, the, well, actually the Dakar now, or the Baja 1000, you know, and things like that. You know, or if, you, you know if you really do not want to have to, you know, not worry one thing about the wheels you ride on, okay, then I'll build you those wheels. Did you do anything like changing the, the actual bearing sizes or changing the seals or anything well, like that? Yeah, what, what we do is, I've, you know, for instance, certain aftermarket manufacturers, you know, I go in there and, you know, they put stuff together. And it's like, Lordy, I, I end up having to, you know, in some cases, I say don't even put the wheel together because I have to basically check everything that they did to make sure that the bores and the wheels are adequate, that they... Uh, uh, you know uh, the, that the, the 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 spacers have the right OD. Sometimes they make them too big, and that goes and creates too much friction and resistance and wear on the seals. You know, so all those little things, I go out there and I fine tune, and I either uh, you know modify what I get, or else I will also then just simply build my own version of it, which I can, you know, I've got control over, you know, the QC and everything of like that, you know. And uh, I, I have been little by little making more uh, adaptations for the hubs and stuff I've already designed. And I'm uh, currently right now I'm making a new and improved uh, hub for all of the uh, uh, KTMs. And I use that also in the F800 GSs. So basically, I you know I, I cross pollinate, and if I can't get somebody else to do it, you know the way I want it, then I will personally you know do it in house. So you're actually machining a new hub for them. Yeah, I will. Like I said, when I get when I give you when I give you a wheel, I, I can I can tell you that uh, you will know that you've never seen a wheel like that. Okay. I've actually, you know, this is a funny story. I've actually had to take out insurance for the people that go out there and complain about the fact that they're losing riding time 
because they put the wheels in their living rooms and just gawk at them and look at them all day. <laughs> so, so for those souls, you know, I have to take out, you know, some uh, loss of how do you say loss of uh, loss of use, yeah. yeah, loss of use, you know, right? Uh, <laughs> loss of consortium. <laughs> Well, Woody, what I wanted to talk to you in particular about was the difference between cast and spoke wheels. Now, oh, I think yeah. oh. everyone seems to know that, hey, you shouldn't take a cast wheel off-road. I mean, although some people do. But well, yeah. can you tell us exactly what the difference is between the spoked and the cast and why we want spoked? Okay. All right. So, first I can, I can tell you, you can take, you know, mag wheels off-road. The big thing is, is that wheel, uh, for instance, is that wheel have a casting that will withstand the rigors of, of going off-road, okay? Most of the castings, especially, for instance, if you have a BMW casting, they're designed so that they can you know, absorb the energy of a crash and things like that. So when they're straight, they're straight. But already, you know, if you hit a truck hole or something, boom, you know, they bend very easy. And, of course, we can straighten them much easier than with some of the other ones. So you really don't want to have a wheel that goes out there and deforms like that. The other part has a cast wheel has got absolutely zero, what I call, resilience. So what a, a wire wheel has, it has the ability to actually act like a shock absorber, okay? you got to remember the motorcycle is hanging from the, from the rim. You know, all the other spokes are basically keeping, you know, the ones on the, you know, the horizontal spokes, you know, forward and backwards. Those spokes are just keeping the rim from, you know, popping out and being pushed into an egg. The bottom spokes don't do anything outside of, of you know, they're not doing anything. So the motorcycle hangs from the top spokes. And, of course, that process is, you know, constantly repeated. So what happens is with the when you hit a bump, then the, some, of that, some of that is absorbed in the springing action that, you know, the wire wheel has, okay? It has a tendency to just give a little bit. Well, that's the same thing like when you have a, you know, if I go out there and I punch you in the face with my fist, you know, you're going to feel it immediately. If I have, a, you know, a little uh, so a boxing glove one, you, you go out there and have a certain resilience, you're still going to go down, but, you know, there's a little give in the process. And that's what the beauty is of a wire wheel. It has what I call, uh, uh, it has the, uh, the ability to flex and, uh, and absorb some of the shock. All right. The other thing is, of course, it's easier to like true the wheel and things of this nature. Replace the rim is much cheaper to just put another rim on there instead of having to spend the... Uh, spend a lot of money on another mag we of course have, you know uh, since i raced motorcycles road racing is that i had to learn how to fix everything and because i couldn't afford to buy new stuff all the time so you bend them i mend them all the, the mag wheels anything uh we have the uh, the skill sets to repair stuff and uh, yeah so, when, so one of the things that when you asked about the wire wheels is in, for instance, road racing, um, one of the things that I found out is that when I go out there and do my super lacing, one of the things I also do is I basically pre-seat 
the uh, precede the uh, all the nipples and uh, and the spokes where they go through the hub and where they rest in uh, in the rim. So what I'm doing is I'm eliminating what is normally called the seating in process. All right, I do that for you. So I give you that wheel. You know, you don't ever have to touch it. There's no you can you can touch it. I mean, you can check it. It's your responsibility to go ding the spokes and see if everything's okay. That's part of your responsibility as a motorcycle rider. Uh, but what what I'm telling you is that the likelihood that you ever have to, uh, you know, go ahead and uh, tighten up spokes after I've given you a wheel are almost zilch. I guarantee street wheels for five years, you don't have to touch them. And on uh, competition machinery, I guarantee the wheels for a year, they don't have to mess with them. And so far, I've uh, had damn few wheels outside ones that maybe crashed and burned real bad that I've had to, you know, do anything with, okay? So the main difference being, you know, the, the cast is not flexible. The, the wire wheel yeah. is flexible and absorbs impact. What about repairing? Uh, can you repair both of them? Uh, you did mention you can repair casts. If you go and you crack one, is that fixable? Yes. We, uh, it's amazing. Probably 90% of all the bent wheels, you know, I look at it. If I can, here's my standard. If I look at it and I say, I can fix this for less than half of what you can buy a used one for, all right, then... That's sort of like a standard, right? And of course, there's stuff that's just simply unobtainium, and then people pay me whatever. They don't care. Just, you know, fix it. I, I need it fixed. I mean, we welded three, four, five inches section of rim back into into mags and machined them down. You can't tell where we where we did it. You know, we can do all that kind of work, okay? There's some stuff that's just basically unobtainium, as we say. And then, but the thing I wanted to go back to, when I built the wheels... For instance, for some of the, the road racers, you know, they're always wondering, God, how come you get around the things so fast? We got everything is identical and stuff. Well, they didn't know that I blueprinted my wheels, okay? <laughs> they never they never bothered checking that. So the difference is that my wheels, they felt like mag wheels that were alive, okay, is the way people say, so I can't believe this thing. It handles like a mag wheel. It's got the precision, you know, when you put the, you know, the input into the bike, the handlebars and whatever, it, it, it reacts like a mag wheel, except it is, it's a mag wheel that has a certain resilience to it. You know, it's like it's got, it's, it's, the ride is softer. It isn't that harsh, dead ride that a mag wheel gives back to you. A mag wheel feels like the wheel is dead. There's no, there's no liveliness to it. So you feel all the little, you know, road bumps and everything. And the other one is... Uh, yeah, it's like riding a sport car versus a Cadillac, you know? So you wouldn't categorically just tell someone that they need spoke wheels. It would depend on their application. You mentioned there that you said the first thing you're going to ask is, what do you do with your bike? Yeah, what do you do with your bike? How hard do you ride it? You know, where are you going to ride it, okay? And then I've got, you know, some parameters I can wrap my head around and like that. Going back, for instance, you know, at Daytona, all right, um, I built lots of wheels, you know. In the old days, I never... You know, touted anything. I never advertised. I've never advertised it anyway in my 43 years. It's just all word of mouth. Except now, you know, uh, I have been, you know, getting a little bit notorious and stuff like this and getting credit for all the stuff. And my my wheel work decal is seen on a lot of different things. And the the thing is, is that at Daytona, for instance, is it was it was like they what do you, 
build me a set of those super lace wheels. Great. Now, do they go out there and, and run around? And Daytona, the difference between a regular wire wheel that you know comes from the factory motorcycle, you know, I'm talking mostly the vintage kind of racing in some of the old days uh, when we had wire wheels even on the regular stuff. It was good for three to four seconds at Daytona. Nothing, nothing else except the wheels. Three to four seconds at Daytona, that's a that's a a nice little ace to have up your sleeve. You know, you don't say nothing to your neighbor. You keep your mouth shut. You don't say, hey, I'm running with these wheels, you know. No, that's your ace in the hole, you know. But, uh, and so, uh, yeah. So that's that, that's the, the kind of, you know, the, the performance, you know, edge that you can you can have. You know, when somebody goes and rides uh, just a couple of years ago, Chris Jones, you know, he was in there, got sponsored due to the Paris Dakar one of the last ones in Africa, you're riding a, a KTM 640. You need 10 sets of wheels to get through that race. You know, and I said, no, I don't think so. So he comes over there. He has all his uh, wheels that were brought to him and donated by Talon and XL rims. And, and he says, what do you do your magic on them? And I said, pal, I don't think that those wheels and the hubs you're using is what you really want because I believe those that is why everybody's having all the problems with their 650 adventure you know rally bikes okay they're running a rear hub that had no cush drive in it so every little power pulse from the engine gets bam bam they were ripping sprockets out their chains were stretching the transmissions were being hammered I built I went ahead and I took one of the original SMs, the Supermoto version of that hub, which had a cush drive in it. And that's when I made my first aftermarket billet hubs based upon the same dimensions and using the same cush rubbers. For I had the very first prototype hub in, in my hand. I had an OEM hub and I said, let me build you two wheels with these in there and I want you to try these first. Well, would you believe that he ran the entire Paris Dakar on those two wheels. At the end of the day, they had the, the other wheel had a new tire on it. They swapped them out. And that's what they did from morning to night. The whole thing, the wheels came back totally intact. He never used, he had eight brand new super laced, you know, wheels. So I knew what I was onto was the way to go for all these adventure riding bikes. And that's when I, you know, I, I adapted and made cush drive hubs for all of the, you know, the single cylinder four strokes that were out there that were just tearing up the hubs and the sprockets, you know, day in and day out. You had mentioned a few minutes ago about, you know, it's your responsibility to check your wheels. How do you check your spokes on your wheel? It's real simple. Uh, the first thing is I always recommend is, is take the load off the motorcycle because if you're if you have the motorcycle sitting on the ground, well then the spokes on the top are going to sound higher ring than the spokes on the bottom because the spokes on the bottom aren't doing anything, right? The motorcycle is hanging from the top spokes, so you want to have it off the ground so the wheel is basically not under any great load. And what I do is I I take the spokes that are going in one direction on say I'm on the right side. The ones that are going clockwise, I go do, ding, 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 ding. They should all have a nice uh, high sound pitch to them, all right? 
and then I go to the spokes on the other side that are going in the same direction, which counteract the ones on the right side. And those should also have a similar ring because you want to have the spokes, the, the opposing spokes are working against each other. So those are the ones that are like that. Then I go and I go ding, 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 ding on the other spokes. If I go ding, dong, I know that spoke is loose. Then I check, I says, is that loose because the rim is bent in that spot? Or is it just simply work loose, you know? And you want to basically just snug them up to where they all sound similar to the ones that are going in the same direction. And while we're at it, I have, you know, when I say Woody says, so Woody says it's better to have a wobbly wheel with tight spokes than a true wheel with loose spokes, okay? And what I'm getting at is just like firing a shotgun. If you go out there and you hold that shotgun loose, I guarantee you, you're not going to want to fire it very often, all right? <laughs> Because what'll happen, you know, your face and your shoulders will get bashed in. And yeah. that's exactly what happens when you have loose spokes. What they do is they get hammered, and each rotation they get hammered harder, and they get looser, and the looser they get, the harder to hit. And then what you do is you have a like a geometric curve of disintegration ready to take place. And then one second, you know, one of them goes, and then brrrr, there goes the rest of them, and you'll end up being a pavement inspector pretty, pretty quick. So, are you better off if you've bent your rim and you, you know, you're sort of stuck? Are you better off just to check and make sure those spokes are tight? If they're loose, tighten them up, exactly. and then wait, yeah, until you can bring it in to get it fixed. At that point, exactly. Um, rather than running and right. letting if them loose. If you don't know exactly true true them, then your best bet is to uh, basically to go in there and just snug them up to the point that they're not loose, okay? And then continue, all right, within the parameters of, you know, how bent your wheel is. Now, I want to go out there, and, and since we're speaking of that, all right, um, we have in our motorcycle kingdom, uh, you know, a couple of anomalies, and uh, the most notorious of which is BMW GS, uh, adventure bike and you know several other models that sport what they call cross-laced tubeless wheels okay now these wheels are genuinely a tubeless combination there's no sealers that you need you know the spokes basically come through the outside edge of a of a of an enlarged rim and they go and point to the opposite side of the hub and in the hub you have a nipple and so you true them up with instead of the nipples being out on the rim the nipples are in the hub and they crisscross each other and i can guarantee you that uh, nobody goes and builds those wheels in the conventional sense okay those wheels are all basically a hub is in a big fixture it's locked in and indexed, and then they got a big uh, bunch of jaws that grab and squeeze that rim and hold it in place. And then the guy just basically throws spokes in there and then puts a nipple in and with an automatic torch wrench, goes zip, 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 releases it, next wheel. So there's no, like, truing that gets done in the process. And they, uh, from the factory out, they've got pretty loose tolerances as opposed to the, like this. And the wheels are expensive. They're currently around $1,500 a piece, and BMW says uh, there's nothing you can do with them. You know, whatever it is, you know, go out of whack, you're going to have to buy another one, all right? End of story. 
And of course, the truth is, I know how to go and take those wheels. I've perfected the technique of doing anything you want to with these wheels. I can, I can turn your 19-inch wheel in the front of a BMW into a genuine 21-inch tubeless wheel. All right, that will fit onto your hub, and uh, and then you will have a genuine tubeless wheel, you know, 21 inches because I take that the rim, for instance, off of a, a R100 GS Paris Dakar bike that had tubeless rims on them, and so I can trans transform those wheels, and and I know the, all the little tricks that you know I can I can offer that wheel to plus or minus. 5,000s run out, for instance, when the factory goes and tells you uh, 60,000s run out, it's okay. Okay. Mm. And, and, uh, and I know that 60,000 run out that uh, is it, not going to work. One of the reasons why all those adventure bikes that were like the GSs, why they are out there and you don't feel anything because you're riding around on knobby tires. You have a six, seven hundred pound bike and knobby tires. Those knobs are going to squirm underneath you. But the very second, you know, that you go out there and you put a more street oriented tire on that wheel, you know, like Tourances and things like this, then every little bit of that rim that is deformed and not absolutely perfectly straight will take the tire and make it move left and right and stuff like this. And what happens is, then it says, oh, my God, I've got wobbles, you know, and the, and the thing is hopping around on me and all that stuff. Turon's tires have gotten a bad rap. It wasn't the, the tires. They're some of the best tires in the world. It was that the, that the wheels were crooked and transmitting their crookedness into the bike. What happens when you have a bike with a crooked wheel, for instance, it is going to go down the road, and when it's slow, the wheel is going to go left and right around, you know, whatever it's crooked. The second you start to pick up speed, the res there's resistance on the tire to go left and right. It wants to act like it's going in a straight line. So what happens is the wheel will then all of a sudden start to shift left and right so the tire has the illusion like it's going in a straight line. And then when, the when it goes left and right, that left and rightness goes straight up through the frame into your handlebars, and you experience pretty, pretty wacky, you know, vibrations and, you know, handlebars oscillating, going around, you know, high-speed corners, and the whole bike is starting to heave and hold like a buck and bronco. So, anyway, we have the solutions for all that. And, uh, yeah, and that's what I bring to bear. And, of course, right now, the adventure riding universe is what intrigues me the most uh because uh you know I'm, I'm doing everything i can to say hey go take those bikes off-road uh, a little more and with the addition of you know different kind of wheels and what have you you're going to go ahead and have an experience you're going to see things that you didn't didn't want to uh, dare to go because you know the standard wheel and rim configuration basically geared for ride on a highway. Aside from the obvious, you know, the dinted rim, the, the tacoed rim, yeah. when should a person look at his rim or her rim and say, I've got to take this in to Woody? Well, first off, okay, is I just tell everybody, 
it's real simple. Take your bike, put it up on a center stand, spin the wheel. In the case of the big bikes, I say, hey, put it up, put it in first gear, start the bike up. And you just have to stand there and look at the wheel. If that wheel isn't, looks like it's absolutely steady, all right? Your eyeball, you don't need no dial indicators. You don't need anything. Your eyeballs are designed to detect any kind of irregular movement. You can tell right away if that wheel is sitting there and wobbling, hopping, or moving left and right, okay? If the wheel is out of round, you know, longitudinally, we, we get hop. If the wheel is out laterally, all right, you get wobble, okay? So you can instantly see if your wheel is fine. Going in there while you're at it, as you go ding the spokes, if every all the spokes have got a nice pitch to them, you're good to go, okay? You know, check your tire pressures and you're good to go. Where do people find out more about you and what you do? Where do they find out about me? Well, I'm on a at advrider.com. I have about 15 threads in there. The most popular one is called uh, Ask Woody About Your Wheels. Okay, we've got, you know, over 500,000 people have gone and looked at that one. I am uh, on Facebook. I do a lot of stuff on there. Uh, People can always contact me uh, directly uh, with, uh, you know, through the shop. And, uh, you know, I have a staff over here that can answer a lot of the questions. Of course, all the, the wacky stuff gets tossed into my show, you know, into my, into my lap. And, um, yeah, so um, woodyswheelworks.com, advrider.com, GS Giants is another forum where I'm in there. And the other thing is I, I go to some of the rallies and stuff. I've been invited as guest speaker and do show and tell. And I'll be doing a, with my new updated redesigned shop, I'll be doing seminars over here and things like this. And uh, yeah, so that's basically, yeah. And we do this for, I mean, the we do this for anybody. People, you know, they come to me, I wanna win the Pebble Beach Classic. Okay, no problem, let's see what you got, you know. Uh, we do restorations, we do, you know, where everybody else says, oh, it can't be done, that gets me excited. That's my starting place. You know, I says, oh. <laughs> the and, challenge. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the challenge, you know. So it's like right yeah. now, I, I'm going to give you, in the next week, I will have the lightest, strongest uh, rear hubs for all the F800 GSs and all the KTM adventure bikes to match the front hub that is already uh, I specially made, you know, for the, uh, you know, uh, I've been able to adapt that hub, for instance, to the Super Teneres, all right, uh, to all the, all the BMWs, water-cooled, HP2s, like that. Uh, and then uh, now I've adapted it to all the uh, KTM bikes. So now I'm uh, the... the the missing link is the uh, is the rear is the rear hub to complement the front hub. So that I'll have. I'm so excited about that project. You know, and the other thing what you need to know is that we we're also as a result of one of my fellow road racers getting paralyzed back in the 80s. 
is that I ended up designing a ski for him and also reintegrating him into the workforce. So he was from his wheelchair, worked for us for a bunch of years and modified the bike that he crashed on so he could ride his motorcycle again. And I do a lot of uh, things like that for in the uh, motorcycle community for people that want to do stuff again. And so designed this one particular piece of equipment and the ancillary equipment like the skis that they use that they call flip skis and stuff. So now I'm the largest manufacturer of handicapped ski equipment in the world to top it all off, all right? And uh, we put uh, at least uh, 5,000 some people that would never think of being playing in the sun in the winter time. They're out there riding around in equipment that uh, is easy to use. And uh, yeah, the last uh, first, second, and third place in the last five Paralympics were all using super light outriggers. I used the super light uh, logo for all of my handicapped uh, uh, crutches, flip skis, and you know, that kind of stuff. This is how you get all these different businesses. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Vroom, V-R-O-O-O-M, is vintage restoration of old outboard motors. It's sort of like a little uh, passion of mine collecting hydroplanes and uh, trick outboard motors, racing motors from the 50s. Well, Woody, thank you very much for coming on to Adventure Rider Radio and talking to us about rims. Yep, yeah, it's been my pleasure. Hope you all are a little... Uh, a little more knowledgeable as a result of this encounter. If you need more assistance, well, you know how to get a hold of me. I've been speaking with Woody from Woody's Wheelworks. You can find out more about Woody and what he does at his website, www.woodyswheelworks.com, or you can drop by our website, of course, and check the show notes for this episode. So this week we began our long-planned road trip starting out on Vancouver Island. Now when I say we, I'm talking Adventure Rider Radio, which consists of Elizabeth and Jim. <laughs> so the two of us have started out on what should be a really fun adventure for us. Our last bird has flown the coop off to university, and it was time for us to pack up and head out. And as we love adventure motorcycling, we also enjoy overlanding in our Jeep. So off we go in our Jeep, pulling uh, our newly converted toy hauler with, of course, our motorcycle inside. We're taking Adventure Rider Radio on the road, exploring as we go by Jeep and motorcycle. And each week we're going to try and keep you updated with our finds as we explore mainland British Columbia and then make our way to Ontario. And then, well, we'll see where we go from there. We're going to explore some fantastic riding roads, uh, hopefully some spectacular fall colors. We're really stoked about this and as are our two dogs and we hope to meet you on the road somewhere along the way so keep checking our website follow us on social media and find out what we're doing today we're in vancouver bc we've just spent our first night in a walmart parking lot not the greatest but it's hard to find a place to boondock in vancouver when you arrive on a ferry at one in the morning that's another story that maybe i'll get into later vancouver is 
on the west coast of British Columbia and is surrounded by ocean and mountains. It's absolutely stunning vistas. It's really a gorgeous place, a wonderful place to visit and uh, a great place to ride your motorcycle. We'll spend the day here visiting our son, Peter, who's off to university. And then we're heading north to explore some of the Caribou Gold Rush, including Quinell Forks, which is a, a ghost town here in British Columbia that is a spectacular place and somewhat remote, really. It's at the end of a, a long dirt road. And I first found it on my motorcycle. Um, doing an exploration there. So we're going to take the Jeep there. We're going to do some riding around. It's going to be great fun. So be sure to tune in next week. We'll give you an update. We'll let you know what we've been up to, let you know what we found, and we're going to post some pics to the website. So be sure to follow us on social media. Follow us on our website. Make sure you're dropping back regularly, and you're going to see uh, we're going to start a blog on the website that's going to give you a little bit more information and some more photos of what we're doing. So Adventure Rider Radio is officially on the road, and here I sit in our converted toy hauler right now doing this recording. Well, believe it or not, in a Walmart parking lot. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio, and thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and can fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and with a five-year warranty. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. I'm Woody from Woody's Wheelworks, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. The Good Adventure Company is a motorcycle outfitter that donates its profits to sustainable charities. They specialize in soft luggage and only sell products they've tested and believe in. And now they're offering guided motorcycle tours. Visit them at www.good-adv.com. That's www.good-adv.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. And of course, as you know now, Adventure Rider Radio on the road. I'm Jim Martin. Thanks for listening. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. Oh, and wait, before you go, of course, you can always do Adventure Rider Radio a favor by dropping by our website, clicking on the comment button and sending us a comment. Click on the donation button as well. We can certainly use that and send us a donation, but we really want to hear from you. And we've been hearing a lot from a lot of people getting some great suggestions and it really helps the show. It really helps us figure out what we should be covering and, and even pointing out some things that we may not have noticed yet or some people that we may not have noticed yet. So please keep it coming. If you've been there already, send us more. If you haven't been there, get on our website, send us a comment. Let us know what you think of the show. At the very least, send us suggestions, what you'd like to hear, and we'll go from there. Adventure Rider Radio is made possible through Canoe West Media, and special thanks to our co-producer, who you wouldn't believe how hard she works behind the scenes to do this, because she really gets very little credit except for this little end piece, Elizabeth Martin. She's doing a great job. I'm Susan Johnson from Horizons Unlimited, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.